Well, this morning, I, I love this. I love preaching God's Word. It was fun being away last weekend with our family. We worship with you via live stream, and, uh, but it's so good to be back. Today, brand new series, Chase, that Jeff talked about. It's about the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you have a copy of the Scriptures, open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. So they're around Psalms and Proverbs, and you find Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes. It's a, it's a great book. Now, I just want to go ahead and tell you, this morning, we're going to build, it's a several-week series that will take us for a while. And basically, I'll do a chapter a week. And this morning, as we start, I'm going to put you in a funk. I'm going to put you in a depression, okay? And when you read Ecclesiastes, it's got a lot of depression in your life. Oh, that is just so good. Why did you pick to put us in a funk, a depression for the sun? But you'll see as it builds over the weeks and as I make... Uh, statements as I declare truth, God will speak to your heart every week. But I've, I've told you a long time ago, I decided a long time ago when I came to Christ, I was going to preach Genesis to Revelation, and I was going to be a biblical preacher, and I was going to give you the full counsel of the Lord God Almighty. Come on, church, give me a big amen. amen. I don't want to give you a padlum and some little three little points in a poem. Let's all feel good. Ha. Oh, I can't believe I just did that. Yeah, and fly away. Hey, Jeff, come lead us in. I'll fly away. I don't even like that song. But anyway, okay, so here we go. I shouldn't have said that because somebody will send me a mail. Oh, man, my dad wrote that. Well, praise the Lord. Send the royalties here. Okay, so here we go. Mark Twain once said, wouldn't life be better if we started it at 80 and gradually we moved toward the age of 18? We would gain experience and then we would be prepared to ask, why do we live? What is the purpose of life? What goes on afterwards? How many of you thought when you were 17 or 18, I was, that you knew everything and you were the smartest person in your family and you'd already arrived when you were 18? How many of you? Go ahead, hold your hands up with me. We got a club. And then you showed up at university and they put you in your place and they showed you, you are a freshman. Translated, you are a peon. You're starting over, baby. And that's just the way it is. And then you start again. But here's, as I get older, I realize the more that I think I know, the more I realize, the more I don't know. As I study God's Word, and I've been doing this for a long time, there's so much to uncover and discover and dig out and mine from the Word of God. So, again, I encourage you, read the Bible every day. Let it get into you. You can read Ecclesiastes really in a short period of time, Ecclesiastes 1. But let's jump into this. Uh, you know, Generation X, other generations, whatever, they thought, man, our world's messed up. I'm going, yeah, you're right. And what do you grasp? What do you hold on to? What do you believe in? In 1976, a year before I graduated from high school, there was um, uh, kind of a rock star. His name was Elvis Presley. Yeah, he was kind of big. And uh, he was in the Las Vegas Hilton. And he made a statement that was kind of interesting. He says, you know, I feel so alone at times. Even though every time he showed up, I remember seeing him in 1977. He came to Montgomery, and I went, and it was incredible. I mean, he only sang 50 minutes because he was out of breath. He didn't do the breath exercises that Jeff does. And um, he was really heavy, but it was, he would turn to a section, and all the lights would like, look, they turned the lights on. It was the cameras. They'd be like, oh, Elvis, Elvis. But when you read about his life, he was depressed. He was discouraged. He was alone. He just felt so empty. He had all the world's goods. 
and it didn't satisfy. The common theme when you read through Ecclesiastes is boredom, monotony, weariness, toughness, discouragement, disappointment. You're like, oh, gee, you, you told us you went ahead and gave us a, a warning that you're going to put us in that. Well, I got to be truthful to the text. I mean, when you just start reading Ecclesiastes, you don't go like, like today. I want you to just look here. There, there, there's a verse here. And look at the very top of your worship guide. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Nobody puts that on Pinterest. That's not on anybody's screen like, man, this is my life verse. Life is utterly meaningless, says Solomon. I mean, I, I read it and I go, man, this is like depressing. And, and I, I felt like months ago the Lord told me, I want you to preach in Ecclesiastes. You've never done that. And I asked the Lord, are you sure? <laughs> and he kept leading me back. And then finally, I was so excited about Romans 8, because Romans 8 is the gospel, and it's got power. And we walked through that, and I've seen God change lives over this summer, over that three-week series. You need to go online and catch up. It was really powerful. And then I'm like, but then I'm going to preach on Ecclesiastes. And I read it over and over this week. And I just got to tell you, it did not do for me what Romans 8 did. <laughs> but it's God's Word. And I'm extracting principles every week, and I'm like, God, that's what we need. So let's pray. Lord, adjust our minds and our attitudes and our eyes today. Thank you for letting us be here. And Lord, you have given us the Word of God. And we open it up and we open our hearts. Show us truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there is some discussion, but according to Hebrew Jewish tradition, Solomon is the writer of Ecclesiastes. Uh, basically, in the young part of Solomon's life, they would attribute that's when he wrote Proverbs. But toward the end of his life, he writes Ecclesiastes, this really tough book. And, and let's just look at it together so we can get you there. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem, and that would be Solomon. Not a trick question. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. Let's stop there. And doesn't that just make you want to go home and go, what's the point? You see, he has a worldly perspective. He looks at it from the world. It's a, I would write this out on the margin. It's a diary of despair when you read Ecclesiastes. That's really, it's, it's just a diary from a man that was the wisest man that ever lived. God granted him wisdom, 1 Kings 4. He prays powerful prayers, 1 Kings 8. He is an amazing man of God. Now, he gets messed up, but he starts good. Here, this whole thing about meaningless occurs like 35 times. It's a chasing after the wind. And then, just fill in the blank here, he's a man of perplexity. He's a very intellectual, he's a, he's a wise person, he's a knowledgeable person. He has understanding, he has wisdom, he asked God for wisdom and God granted him. But you read chapter 1, and it's kind of ugly, it's kind of brutal, it's like there's no purpose, there's no fulfillment, there's no satisfaction. What am I going to do with this? Learning, pleasure, laughter, material possessions, those things can't satisfy. And that's what Solomon would say. See, he was uniquely equipped that he can know. He was a botanist. He was a biologist. He was probably a philanthropist. He wrote poems. He wrote proverbs. He wrote songs. He was an incredible guy. But here in verse 1, he says he's a teacher. He's a preacher. 
He's a herald. He, he proclaims in the Hebrews, Koalath, a title given to an official who calls an assembly. And that's what he would, when he would go in an assembly, people would come from far and wide to hear the wisdom of Solomon because Solomon spoke like no other. He was, he was just brilliant. And then when you get into the New Testament, then he talks about an assembly, ecclesia, the, uh, the term church, the assembling of the saints. Here's what Solomon was. Solomon was Bill Gates of the 10th century. Can anybody understand that now? He was rich. He invented iPhones. No, they didn't have phones then. Okay, okay. But, but I thought about this the other day on vacation. We were on vacation. I looked over, and I saw Macs, and I saw iPads, and I saw iPhones, and I went, wow, the man really did mess this up. And everywhere I go, I know you're like, well, Keith, I don't like that. I have a Galaxy. I have a Samsung. Okay, I don't want to debate brand today. I'm just saying, just for... I'm making an illustration, okay? So God gives Solomon wisdom that he's wiser than any other man. Psalm 72, just write that in the side. I won't have time to get there. It's a great passage to read. But he has advantages. He has wealth. He has lots of insight. He has wisdom. He has women. He has a 1,000 women, guys. 1,000. You're saying, whoa. And I like what Socrates said. He said, find a good wife and you'll be happy. Find a bad one, you'll be a philosopher. And Solomon, would y'all say that Solomon's a philosopher? I mean, he, he knew about women, okay? He had all these different things going on in his life, and he didn't know how to live, though. He was trying to live it from a perspective of the world, and the world was coming down. So here it is. Fill in the next one. It's the motto of the book is vanity. Vanity, vanity. Oh, vanity and meaningless. It's his conclusion. And he searches it out. And his vanity here means emptiness. Write it down. It means emptiness. It means frustration. It means futile, futile. It sums up life. It's 37 times he says vanity. Life is mere vanity. Meaningless. You're like, ugh. I don't, I don't like it. And vanity is meaningless, insignificant, futile. It means breath. It means vapor. It means fleeting, momentary, transitory, temporary value, nothing eternal. <laughs> gone. <laughs> gone. That's what Solomon starts with. He has a tough life. I mean, I say he has a tough life. I mean, you're saying, well, bro, he had a thousand women, and he had money, and he had palaces, and he had that. But he also was unique. He was also a pessimist. He he, he writes down his journey, his diary, and we get to read it from the inspired word of God, and we see that he's not like the most happy camper when you read through this because he departs from God. And apart from God, I have to write down, apart from God, life is always empty. I, I tried that for 19 years. Some of you have tried that all your life. Some of you have tried it for a few years. Some of you came to Christ at a young age. But apart from Christ, life is empty. We'll cover that over and over. But in John 4, the Scripture just says, would you have some of this living water? Would you come to me? And I'll become a spring that wells up in you, and, I'll, and I will give you a fountain water, a fountain of water, spring drink, uh, dr a spring drinking fountain that just overflows. It's the life of Christ. It's a life with God versus the life under the sun. And then as you move on down through here, look, look there. Verse 4, generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises, the sun sets, then it hurries around to rise again. In other words, monotony, monotony. It just gets up so right in there. Monotony of life. It's just, man, I go to work. I come home, I do this, I go back to bed, I get up, I go to work, and I do that, and then we get two weeks at the end of the summer, or two weeks sometimes we get vacation, and we do it again, we revolve, and we revolve, and then we have a career, and then we, then career's over, and then we live, and if we have our health, we travel a little bit, and then we die, and then other people are born, and then they die, I mean, it's just your land. 
Man, Pastor, thanks for sharing that with us. That's just so encouraging. You know, when you think about how tough it is here, uh, I was doing some research on this, and it says that America, the USA, has the, the highest boredom factor per capita in the world. It's an indictment. It means that we have a lot of the richest of this world. We can buy so many things. God's allowed us, but and it seems like we would be so amused. But we're so amused and we're so empty. We're, it's just not adding up. Alexander the Great, he conquered the known world by the age of 31. Poor Alexander. And he cried out, there's no more kingdoms to conquer. Well, it sounds like rich people. sounds like us. I have this, I have a car, but I want a new car. I have a house, I want a new house. I have a dress, but I want a new dress. I got, I got some bling, I want bigger bling. You know what I'm saying, it just, you know, whatever. It's just universally here. And he's, he's not satisfied. I'd say this, you and I, let's say we double our salary. How many of you would like to double your salary this year? I would, I mean, I, oh, the rest of you make so much now, you don't care. That's awesome, Cool. And if you doubled or tripled your salary, do you think everything would just be perfect and you'd have no more problems? No, you'd have some new problems. You're, and some of you are saying, well, I'd like to take on some of those new problems with twice or three times the income. Well, it's probably not going to happen. But anyway, just a thought. Okay, so great question. All work, planning, investing, gathering, all this stuff under the sun, under the S-U-N, S-U-N it just comes up meaningless. It just doesn't add up. But so we're going to jump into this. So he says in here, there's nothing new. It's like a trash heap here. There's never enough. We never, we want more, 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 one more. If I just get one more dollar, one more possession, one more thing, everything will be good. But it doesn't ever seem to satisfy. Have you ever noticed that? You, you, you're a golfer and you get a new club and you get one more club or, or, you, or you get this thing and you want one more. Okay, I'll go ahead and tell you my fetish. Some of you have figured out I'm a watch freak, okay? I love watches. I have lots of watches. I inherited a really nice collection from a friend of mine a couple years ago. So, and, so I'll just go ahead and give the secret. I wear watches according to what I wear. I have a blue watch on. Ha <laughs> ha, isn't that sweet, Pastor? Okay, I like watches, okay? And can I just be totally honest? This is ridiculous. I've never had enough watches. I know you're like, how many do you wear? One at a time. But I've never seen a watch I didn't like. And, and, and some of you girls are going, oh, I love you, Pastor, because I feel that way about shoes. I'm going to tell my husband. I'm going to quote him. No, you quote me in context, okay? I'm not saying go out and buy it. So here it is. Never getting enough. We're never satisfied. Here it is. Just write down some words. We're cynics. Cynicism. Suspicion. Mistrust of people. It assumes the worst. If we're not careful, in this world, we live this, in this world with no other perspective, we're just cynical. And even as Christ followers, when we get the focus off Christ, we get to be cynics. Pessimism is the second one. Complete negativity. We're on the voyage of life, and we're just negative, and we're pessimistic, and, rah, 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 and it's like nobody wants to be around you. They're just not telling you. They just don't call anymore. That's a sign. The third thing is stoicism we shut ourselves out we shut down we're indifferent we're even tempered we're just stoics and then the fourth one i got another ism hedonism we're all into pleasure no rules no boundaries that's that's basically when you read ecclesiastes it's like here it is no boundaries no rules i acquire all this stuff but more doesn't cut it i'm not satisfied more whatever more championships more this more that 
I mean, does, any, does anybody feel like you're kind of reading like today's paper when I'm talking about this stuff? that we're ne- How many of you would say we're never satisfied outside Jesus Christ? We're just not. I mean, you don't have enough plants, you don't have enough trees, you don't have enough towels, you don't have enough sheets, you don't have enough shirts, you don't have enough whatever you're into. But in verse 4 here, what does he say? Generations come, generations go, but the earth never changes. I thought this was interesting. 350,000 babies will be born today. 350,000 in the world, roughly. Maybe take, add or take away one or two. 147,000 people will die today on the planet. So, uh, you know, things start and they die and birth and death. And, and then I like to, I like to garden. I, I like to work in a yard. It's, it's therapy. It, the dirt doesn't talk back to me. And, and I get out there and, and so it's, 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 it, it really, it charges me at, at some level and you get overcharged. I, I don't need any more of that. I planted these, uh, trees, uh, back months and months ago to create a hedge across our back. I, I did it at our old house and I see them today and they're going to outlive me. And, and the other day I was thinking about it. These Leland cypress that I plant all across the back that one day will be a nice hedge of trees, they're probably going to outlive me. Now, you just think about that for a minute. If you've ever planted something, there's a good chance. Now, if, if you plant some trees, don't worry about it outliving uh, you because some of them don't have a very long shelf life. But things come and go and things start and they stop. And life is, he'd say here, write it down, life is an endless cycle. The sun rises, the same sun that was rising that rose on Adam and Eve will set on you and me. And then it will get up tomorrow and it will rise again and it will set. And then it will rise again and then it will set. And it will just be an endless cycle. Here it is. I think, I think you moms, maybe you dads understand this. Laundry. You, come, you empty out all the baskets and you go, hallelujah! This happens at our house sometimes. And I try to really be good and put it in the right place, Donna. But sometimes I, I have a brain lapse and something happens. And I just can't hardly stand it. And I am kind of neat. So it's not like we just have stuff all around our house. But then I need to go take something to the dirty clothes. And, I, and they're empty. And it kills me to put that in that bag because she just emptied it. How many of you moms feel like, ah, oh, kids, husbands, life. Endless laundry. And some of you are like, well, it doesn't bother me. I just wear dirty. Oh, gross. Or you're just like, you just pile it up, you know. Or you wash clothes for a whole weekend. Just what I wanted to do. Okay. This whole thing says the sea's never full. There's a hydrological cycle in the way evaporation and, and and we have just enough rain or the sea would overflow but it doesn't and it goes in and it condenses and it goes up in the cycles. You know seventh grade science and earth science and you begin to learn all that fun stuff. The, the, the world, the earth, turns on its axis and all those wonderful things, and it turns at 23 and a third degree tilted, and it gives four seasons because it does that. The right balance of oxygen and nitrogen come out. If it didn't, we would not be on the planet. On and on, you know, you're just getting all these scientific facts like Mark Batterson or Louis Giglio, and it's fascinating, and I like reading it like, hey, that's kind of a fascinating fact, but let me move on. Okay, so look at verse 5. The sun rises, the sun sets, and it hurries around to rise again. That's what I just said. Up, down, up, down. It's just like, ah. But look at verse 6. This is kind of our verse at the top of our notes today. The wind blows south, and then it turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Do you feel like your life is just a mere chasing after the wind? (laughs) Just running circles. Monotony, monotonous. It's, It's constant. It's a circuit. 
I don't understand it, but it, it's rough. And then verse 7, here, look what he says here. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers, and it flows out again to the sea. This whole cycle works, and everything is worrisome. But beyond description, no matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. Underline it. I said it again. We're never satisfied, says the Word of God. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. You know how I know that? Go get your smart TV, your TV. Get a TV in every room. Have a TV wherever you go. Go to lunch. There's a TV. We can never seem to see enough. Here, we can never get our listening devices, and we can never seem to hear enough songs. We want one more. I mean, I'm a, I'll go ahead and tell you, John and I like 24. It's just a show that I've enjoyed. There's nothing spiritual about it, believe me. Okay. It's just, it's just drama, and I like it. Some of you like it, and you'll like me now. Some of you are like, ah, I knew he was a loser. And then, but it's just a great show. And, but you know what? I had never watched it. It was only like five seasons, and I'd hear people like, yeah, whatever. And I was doing some premarital counseling one day, and somebody came in and said, hey, Pastor, have you ever watched 24? I went, no. They said, we have five seasons on DVD. They were Christmas presents, and we don't have time because you've given us homework. <laughs> and they said, would you like to unpackage them and write them? I read, write them, read them, or watch it. Yeah, I'll do something with it. I said, yeah. And I took it home. And me and Hannah sit down, and I goes, I, I don't want to do that because she, she makes the most of her time. She just didn't big TV person. And so we sit down, and we start watching about the first 15 minutes. She goes, hold it, hold it, time out, time out. She comes in and goes, I think I'll participate. And we cannot watch enough of those five seasons. And I've talked to some of you. You're addicted like we were. It was ridiculous. Remember when Facebook first came out? Could you ever get enough? Somebody are like, what are you talking about? I don't get enough now. Okay, we'll get a life. Here we go. Let's keep going. Okay, here we go. So technology, more accessibility, tired, move, cycle of life, endless cycle. I'd write down here, it was a soap opera. I don't know if it still comes on. It used to. As the world turns, that's what Solomon would say. I think Solomon wrote as the world turns. It just turns on his axis. Up, down, up, down, over and over. And I'll give you a verse, Proverb 27, 20. Death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are the eyes of man. See, from God's word, he lets you and I know from supreme truth that I will not be satisfied outside of a relationship with him. He gives us things to enjoy. We'll talk about that at the end, but it's just trying to do that on your own. That's life. It's just not going to add up. So verse 9 and 10, look at this. This is just more depression. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Doesn't that just sound like full of hope? Why don't you write that down? Carry that verse to work no more. But I want to share this verse with you. It'll change your life. But it is true, isn't it? Thomas Carlyle said, A mighty drama enacted upon the theater of time with suns for lamps and eternity for background. Solomon would add that costumes and sets may occasionally change, but actors in the script remain pretty much the same. Apart from God, life is boring. Apart from the Father, life just gets monotonous and mundane and disappointing. But in God, you gotta remember, I'm building a whole series, so I can't give you all the answers, but we're getting there. Uh, let's just keep going here. But he says, oh, this is a, you got to love verse 11. Look at this. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one will remember what we're doing now. Some of you are like, you don't remember what you ate yesterday. You don't remember what you did last week, last year. Like somebody tell me, who was a president 50 years ago? Who won the World Cup three years ago? Oh, okay, he knows. <laughs> Who's going to win the World Cup this year? 
Hey, I'm in America. Come on, guys. Come on. Who's going to win the World Cup? I know. I'm dreaming. Whatever. I'm not even a soccer fan, but my son-in-law is, so I'm going to be. He's Canadian. He loves, he says, this is the real football. So I'm learning more and more about it all the time. You know, you know, we think about groups that come and go, and they have hits, and they don't. And we can play all these song lists. But the bottom line is nobody's going to remember. There's, I read this thing. It was so depressing. It says only about 200 people are really going to be worthy throughout decades or centuries that people are really going to remember. But for most of us, maybe everybody in the room, maybe not, people aren't going to remember who we were. Like right now, here we go. Do you remember the name of your great-grandparents? Okay. Do you remember the name of your great-great-grandparents? Uh-huh. See? I thought about this the other day. This is depressing. I live life to the fullest. I love Christ. It's an adventure. I'm, I've poured my life into teenagers and adults for 36 years as a follower of Jesus. I plan to do it until I draw my last breath. It is awesome. But you know what the reality is? When I'm dead and gone, past my family, past my grandchildren, and I pray my great-grandchildren remember who I was, they're going to be like, I don't know. He was and he is no more. We remember him no more. And some of you are like, man, that is depressing. It's the word of God. Some of us think, man, we're making such a big mark. And we do make a mark with our life. And we should make a mark for Jesus Christ. But, you know, I'm just giving you scripture here. Here are my favorite stories. Tony Campolo, Eastern College sociologist. He said one time, he said, if you ever start to feel prideful and proud of yourself and your accomplishments, let them lower you into the grave and say their goodbyes. And they'll walk in the house and they'll pick up the fork and they'll start eating potato salad. Well, I thought it was funny anyway. But uh, bottom line, it's kind of sad. I mean, they, they probably won't start laughing then. But the truth is, we're just not remembered. We're remembered by our closer circle and our family and our friends. But you, know, you give it a century People are like, oh, yeah, I remember him, I remember her. Like, whatever. Like, here we go. You went to uni if you went to university, if you had enough money, they put your name on the side of the building. And you go, I'm going to the Graves building. I'm going to this. I'm going to, and, and I, I did Troy and Emory, so we had a lot of buildings. And Emory, I'm going to Cannon Chapel because Cannon had a lot of money. And, but you know what? Nobody knows anything about it. All they know is somewhere, sometime, they had money and influence, and they plastered the name on the side of the building, but nobody remembers anything about them. Isn't that depressing? You're saying, well, I was going to give a million dollars a day. We will remember you. I promise you. We will remember you. We'll put it in neon lights out front, okay? And then a hundred years from now, everybody's going, who is that? Okay. Here's what I love about God. God remembers. The Bible says that God knows the number of hairs on our head. Now, mine is not quite as creative as it once was. But your hair number is changing every day. You girls, y'all love to stop up showers. You ever notice that? So your hair count changes daily. And the Bible says that he knows when a sparrow falls and he knows the number of hairs on our head. Can we say our God is a great God? Amen. When you think about him. Now, if you just think about this rising and going down and setting of the sun, I wrote this comment in here. I think it's good. The temporal accentuates the hole in your soul. The temporary, the temporal of this life accentuates the hole in your soul and mine. And there's a hole. There's a void. And it's meant to be filled with the presence of Jesus Christ. And without it, life is utterly meaningless. 
Let's continue. So man's wisdom in verse 15, basically man's wisdom can't uh, fix it. Life's disappointing. Uh, we think, God, you know, tell us what to do. Lord, we're, we're just, we're sunk. We're, we're on this trip, but it's not adding up. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but we just kind of do it again. It's part of the cycle. And I think as you continue through here, he'd go, hey, life's a letdown. Our impact, our marriage, our family, our identity, what is really, it matches our dreams. Grief and sorrow is produced. Life is tough. Life is difficult. Life is filled with disappointments. But there is hope. There is so much hope. I'll probably end up doing a series over this year sometime on hope. My, my good friend Ray wrote the best book I've ever read on hope, The Hope Quotient. So it's hard for me to stay melancholy in this section because I'm thinking, man, this is kind of depressing. I want to jump out and resurrect, but I want to be true to the text. Here's some wrong ways we handle unpleasant realities. Because realities, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. And does that mean it's going to come to Christ followers or only to pagans? Not rhetorical. Is, is trouble going to come only to Christ followers or just to, to non-believers? Everybody. It's going to come to all of us. And it's difficult. So we can deny it. We can ignore it. We can become obsessed with it. Let me tell you something else I learned in study for this message. Suicide rates... And this is like the last time that it produced, and, and I can't wait to see another one. But it says suicide rates in 2010 were up 15% in the USA. Some age groups even jumped as much as 30%. People had lost hope. It passed traffic accidents for deaths. Suicide did. People had lost hope. In it. And it wasn't just the USA. It was Europe and Canada and China. Very industrialized nations were struggling. And basically... What it tells me is we can have lots of goods. We can have lots of education. We can have lots of stuff. But apart from God, life is empty. Can I get a big amen? I mean, you, you can say, but pastor, I'm working on an undergrad. I'm working on a master's. I'm working on a PhD. I'm working on a, on a bridge. I'm working on this. I'm doing this with my life. I'm writing a song. I'm going to be a dove winner. I'm going to be like Mark Schultz. I'm, I mean, it's awesome. We'll celebrate. We'll buy your albums, okay? But apart from Jesus, it's not going to add up. I would encourage you to read Ecclesiastes to begin reading. At least read the first chapter this week. And then go to the second chapter because I'll get to chapter two next week. And we want to go to a rock higher than us. And we want to build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. But I would say we want to force people to read Ecclesiastes. But you've got to force them to chapter 12. They've got to read the whole book. Because chapter 12 is going to be the most exciting chapter of this study. You're saying, well, I'll come back in a few weeks. Thank you, Pastor. No, 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 no. We, we want to build. We want to be in God's Word. So there's two principles. Let's fill these in. We should never expect life under the sun to change. That's what Solomon says under the S-U-N. Just life there, it's not going to change. It's going to be tough. We, we learn from Romans 8, all creation groans. We groan inwardly. Life doesn't add up outside of Jesus Christ. You read, you can read the New Testament and you begin to get hope, but you read this section, it's tough. And the gospel does change things. But it's still going to be tough. Life is still going to be full of disappointments. Trials and troubles and tribulation will come to Christ's followers. i got to tell you that. I don't say that with joy. It's just the way it is. But because we have trouble, 
We can come alongside a neighbor with trauma. We can come alongside a neighbor in pain, in death, in divorce, in sickness, in little, in much. And we can offer perspective because the world is broken. How many would you agree today the world's broken? The world's cursed. The world's broken. But there's a new earth and there's a new world. There's a new heaven. It's coming. So the world's unfair. It's unrelenting. I'm not calling you to be Pollyanna Christians. Matter of fact, it's it's not even biblical Christianity. I want you to be people of the book. I want you to be people of hope. But I want you to know that sometimes things are hard. I need these words because a lot of times things don't add up. I think because I fast, things should happen. I think because I pray, I think because I preach, because I do this, it should all go this way. God's ways are not my ways. God's ways are higher than my ways and your ways. And you need to get ready for that, church. He's a great God. Remember when we said all things work together for good for those that are called according to his purpose? So what do you do? You begin to put Christ in that hole of your life. You set your eyes on him. Because outside of that, if you don't chase him, you're in trouble. So I'm going to bring it to this. Are you enjoying the journey? Team's going to come on that. Are you enjoying, or, or uh, Jeremy, come to the keyboard. Are you enjoying the journey that God's got you on you? Are you enjoying life? The truth is, God wants you and me to enjoy life. He wants us to enjoy what he's given us. And the truth is, we can. Um, I think God would say, I approve of people enjoying life. There's a passage in the Gospel of John I would write down today. This is a verse of hope, John 10.10. Memorized it many years ago as an early Christ follower. I found great strength. And in the Amplified Version, it says this. The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full Till it overflows. That's Jesus. So you can choose to live a meaningless life chasing this world and living under the sun, chasing the wind. And you're just going to be in a bunch of circles. And you're saying, well, my circle's going to be bigger than hers. That's cool. It's still a circle. I mean, this room's filled with circles. But I pray we would draw into the center, and the center would be Jesus. And he would overflow our life, and he would give us abundant, overflowing life. So there is a solution today. It's committing your life to an eternal God named Jesus. The other night, we were having a concert here, and believers come in, non-believers, curious people, agnostics. Just, and I meet this person, they go, hey, they're not church, but I thought I'd bring them. <laughs> and I went, hey, that's awesome. And I don't know how they were impacted. I I pray that God was using that to touch their soul, to get them to think about eternity. But what I'm learning is I can't get enough stuff to satisfy me. I can't eat enough food. And I can eat enough food right now and feel like, oh, I can't eat any more food. And you're like, guys, girls, can y'all play enough golf? Oh, oh, no, I can never play enough golf. Then you ain't played enough golf yet. See, you can't do enough of anything on this side of heaven that's ever going to ultimately satisfy you. 
It can be fun. I think God wants you to enjoy life. Hear me, hear me say that. God wants you to enjoy life. How many of you say amen? God wants us to enjoy the journey, but not apart from him. So this morning, I'm calling you to put Christ at the center and begin to journey and orientate your life around him. Because life's a circle. And it makes more sense when we put him in it. I've also learned that life's not boring <laughs> when you follow Christ. He adds value. Let's pray. Lord, it is so good to be with your kids and to proclaim truth from the wisest man that you gave him wisdom. You imparted wisdom and then you gave him wealth. And Lord, he got lost along the journey. He turned his eyes to foreign false gods. But Lord, we want to put our eyes on you and we want to follow you today. So Lord, we know that knowing you is ultimate and we know that knowing and serving you is not boring. So God, help us to have the courage and the faith to follow you. Lord, we need you. We cry out, Jesus, touch me, heal me, give me hope, give me direction, be my leader, be my master, be my Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.